Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk to you about the entire season, still holding out hope, not the entire series of Watchmen on HBO. Yes, Pete, this a show that started to film its pilot all the way back in May of 2018, finally uh, aired at screened at New York Comic Con this past fall. And of course, the series uh, having just completed in the last uh, week or week plus and certainly certainly a unique viewing experience, even in these most unique of viewing experience times. I really marvel at how much i've felt in withdrawal for watchmen in the i mean what that finale aired the 18th am i getting my the 15th the 15th uh yeah and and how we're 11 days later now as we're recording and i tune in on sunday like i I want more watchmen yeah the degree to which they, the people behind the show, and HBO uh, as a network and a network in transition, new corporate overlords, etc. Um, uh, granted, most of this shot before the you know, before any of the, uh, the the corporate stuff, but just the notion that a show, not just this uniquely constructed, but one that's tackling issues first and foremost of race, uh, things like police overreach um racism uh it's 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 astonishing that it covered the ground that it did and in nine episodes and by using some storytelling formats that were you know treating time as this fluid thing uh and calling back to the graphic novel and being a sequel to it while still being accessible to a new audience i mean for people like us who have been with the content for so long through the graphic novel the, the nods alone and the connection was going to be enough, but that it pulled in other people and kept them who had never watched the movie, who had never read the graphic novel, I think shows you the power of the storytelling. And let's be honest, this is thinking person's TV. This is TV that you watch. And, um, you know, one thing I think we need to look at today, Matt, is the episode link. They didn't take the easy way out with the episode link each week. They were really offering you consistently more than the 44 minutes you're used to getting in an hour of TV. Yeah, I, I, certainly the notion that, oh, they could have stuck in a, or, or snuck in rather, you know, that 48 minute type episode, um, particularly, you know, middle of the season, some of the more complex episodes if you want to tell me hey the time it took to to do the episode this extraordinary being where we're going to go back in time it's going to be shot almost entirely in black and white we're going to have complex effect shots motion control perhaps uh old tricks like you know mirror reflecting to somebody who's outside the camera and all of that and that that takes time so ah, it's going to be a 51 minute episode no, no, no. These felt like full episodes, each and every single one. I must confess, Pete, I didn't, 
Uh, I didn't go and look at the exact running times for them, but never was there a week where you said, oh, 9.53, and it wrapped up. Okay, you know, off to bed early. Yeah, even though HBO is known and it's something I've picked on them in the past for, God knows, for, you know, the the show is supposed to start at 9, and it's 9.02, and they're starting. And in Game of Thrones days, okay, they'll give you the Game of Thrones premiere at, 902 after reaching into that hour to give you a couple of promotions for things that are coming in the future months and then at 9:45 the show is over Pete add to it the fact that this was a season of television for which Damon Lindelof had either sole or partial credit for eight of the nine uh, episode scripts uh and then on top of it you know, rare to see uh, such a high percentage of women credited in uh, in in scripts. You know, it, granted, it's just nine episodes, but a uh, ton of female names in there. Ditto for uh, female directors as well. Uh, certainly, as a percentage of the uh, of the show. So that desire that Damon Lindelof spoke about at New York Comic Con and elsewhere to not necessarily tell the story from his perspective, but to use some of his uh, power, for lack of a better word, as, you know, the the vaunted showrunner of The Leftovers of Lost uh, to kind of help advance other people's perspectives and help create the best team possible. I think that was on display here as well. And it absolutely came across in the, in the product. Uh, could a team of, uh, white straight writers have attempted to uh, written something like this. They could have. Would it have seemed disingenuous? Maybe. The fact is that, like you said, Lindelof used his clout. He was able to have a writing room that reflected one the world and two the world they were writing for. And you have a show with an African American female lead. I mean. Cannot, I can't name another one out there off the top of my head. I, I think she had, uh, Regina King had a, had a show, a cop show a couple of years ago, one that I'm, I'm grasping for right now, but it's super rare and infrequent. And right on down the line, when you consider the, the characters of note on this show that, you know, the, the most formidable uh, villain is an Asian female uh, and not done in an over the top uh, really kind of uh, cliche way, but constantly giving you story and motivation through her appearances. Then add to that the, the complete surprise that we had, you know, we went from Yaya Abdul Mateen the second playing kind of oh in the background he's playing cal and it's like oh team warner brothers that's so nice they got the guy from from uh from aquaman brought him over here not doing too much you know the character kind of sleepwalking here to no no he's at the center of it all um and you know it's not just oh they got the guy from aquaman it's this conscious decision to turn the character of Dr. Manhattan into a new form that, that uh, resembling a man of color and that all of that was feeding creative decisions and an attempt 
uh, I would say, successful attempt as well at a at a creative message. You know, Pete, I doubt anybody was predicting back in October. Oh, there's Doctor Manhattan. Were they, Matt? Were they? Well, uh, Pete, if they were, then thank goodness they weren't spoiling it for me uh, on the podcast ahead of time. I've told Matt for months that uh, when it happens, it's going to ruffle feathers and uh, even gave him several opportunities to tell him each time he swerved away. So Matt maintained his own spoiler purity. Let's give it a <sighs> Absolutely. Uh, Pete, I mean, oftentimes when we do a season wrap here, we talk highlights and lowlights. I mean, let's do the reverse here. Was there anything, were there any major parts, middle parts, small parts of the series that you think did not work for you? I know you're going to say unresolved lube man. I will just counter preemptively by saying Clearly, that's the story they wanted to tell where it was left unresolved and where it kind of settled back into PDPedia. But anything that you think they did that they did wrong? Oh, and um, I'm fine with the way that they left Lube Man. Read a lot of the explanations of how, when it was pitched, that everybody was on board with it. There are hints throughout the season when Lori Blake is in the FBI building in her first episode there is a wanted sign on the wall for Lube Man uh, listed as Lube Man so even before Red Scare gives him the name uh, he gets it Uh, I'm fond of my own theory that because Red Scare has some fast metabolism that it could have been him but they give you the off-screen, it was uh, Dale Petey, which is fine. And it's a place that if they're going to return to the show, and I see no reason creatively why they couldn't or shouldn't, uh, it's a place to potentially jump off. Well, the the only reason I would disagree with you is they set out to make this action adventure show that also tried to live up to one of the great novels of the 20th century uh, and freshened it by talking about uh, primarily race, also police issues, things of that sort. I don't know where you go for a second season. Um, and, and I, you know, I see comments from Damon Lindelof like he wouldn't necessarily rule out involvement in season two, but he would want to take the time to come up with an idea because he doesn't have one. I take him at all of that. I don't think that he has said, you know, this is my magnum opus. Now I walk away retiring forever. Uh, but I take him at, you know, at, at the idea that he, he swung for something very, very big. And he built this show with, you know, with a team of people that usually you don't get on TV, both behind the camera and in front of it. And if he says he's out of ideas, I believe it. I don't think this is going to be a case of, you know, oh, and tee hee hee, we actually, uh, we've already started shooting pre-production stuff, or we, we we have part of the cast in Norway to film the whatever, you know, like, I, I buy it when he says, I have no idea where to go, not just, like, where does the plot go and Angela with powers, but how do you now have these great discussions again for a second season? I wonder how much of that, though, is the writer's imposter syndrome creeping in there. Uh a bright guy, a guy with the experience, an out-of-the-box guy like Lindelof, 
has to have something somewhere of a Watchmen story that he hasn't already fulfilled from a, a dream writing standpoint of this being his dream job. I mean, he is quoted on the back of the Watchmen uh, paperback that you can get the, the complete uh, run of the graphic novel. Um, and then there's the things that writers will say potentially as a point of negotiation and uh, writers also have things ready to go if uh, they were called in at a moment's notice. It, it all depends on how much he wants to do. Talking about the the highlights, I mean, if I think we can only start where the show starts, which is how many millions of people heard about the Black Wall Street Massacre of 1921, heard about it for the first time from this show or then some of the some of the cultural fallout you know like i think vox did a video about it or things of that sort by the way that's vox with a v um you know just kind of like it's been in the air since it was first you know shared at new york comic-con slash the october 20th premiere of the first episode so i don't want to say like you know cultural zeitgeist like also baby yoda like this is clearly exponentially more important and to have this frankly forgotten story or forgotten or never known story in the mass audience to have that told and then build some fiction around it and then build a discussion about race and gender and police and so forth from that i mean my goodness there there the good has been done and you know they they gave you all worlds with this series they gave you the important stuff a historical uh event that few people I had not heard of, uh, that, that many people uh, are, are, you know, aware of now, whereas they weren't before. And then they gave you stuff like Loop Man and a guy wearing a, a panda hat around a police precinct. Uh, it, it gave you everything. I can't think of a, of a show that provided deep dives in terms of both historical and, and popular culture. Uh, action, romance, mystery, suspense, uh, thriller elements. It, it had it all. And all of that, Pete, while working pretty solidly as we look back within the framework that the graphic novel gave in terms of things like, uh, you know, what's one of the reasons that they didn't name Vite until halfway through? Oh, because they were following a similar format to Rorschach being unmasked about halfway through in the graphic novel. Um, the Vite story kind of sort of was a tale of the Black Freighter story within a story until it wasn't, and things like that, or just outright callbacks. You know, let's get in a newsstand guy and somebody who's visiting him, and all of that where it was more than Easter eggs. It was somewhat built into the schedule, the, the cycle of the show, and all of that made it in there wonderfully as well. It was reverent to the source material as we always expected it would be at the same time it pushed it ahead on its own. I know there are people who are like, you killed off Dr. Manhattan. Uh, how dare you? I think those cries have been far uh, muted based on the fact that, okay, if he transferred his components into the egg, He's really not dead. 
I could see in a second season where there's internal dialogue between Angela and uh, John Osterman, Dr. Manhattan. Um, and I, I think you explore through her uh, what it would mean to have these superpowers and then the level of interest slash disinterest it might give you in humanity. Um, but everything's there. And I know people want to, it's 2019, almost 2020, Matt. We can't have a Star Wars movie and people can't be, you know, they can't just go and have fun. People got to pop holes and things and, you know, whatever it is. But people want to find fault. And if they're in uh, a mode in their in a manner in which they're going to do that, I guess they're going to do that. I just want to take a moment here to reflect on the two episodes to have the experience of watching this extraordinary being where it takes the viewer through, uh, through Will's eyes, uh, puts them in his shoes as a black man in the 1920s and the unique television presentation that that was. And you say, wow, you know, that was amazing that they wrote that, that they shot that, et cetera. How could they possibly not even top it? How could they equal something like that? Hey, they probably won't. Boom, two weeks later, you get a god walks into a, uh, a bar. And to have similar, not exactly in its construction, but to have another kind of outside-the-box type episode where we're flitting in and out of time, to get that twice out of the nine episodes, I think you could make a corporate argument, Pete. Hey, only do one of those weirdo episodes. That way, you know, the good people tuning in with their HBO subscriptions. That way they're not overly confused. But no, no voice to say that this challenging complex and really deep storytelling style is something that showed up in both episodes. And for me, one that topped the other each week, the, the only one I'm not sure topped the episode before it is the finale. And the challenge in that inherent, you've, you've got to resolve storyline, which is usually more disinteresting than the buildup to it. Uh, so that eighth episode is super near and dear to my heart. Uh, the uh, Extraordinary Being episode and what they were able to do as far as a piece of art, super special. I think of the uh, Little Fear of Lightning, the uh, Looking Glass-centric episode that really delved into the effect of the, the giant squid on top of finally doing justice by the giant squid yeah it was just the whole season was astonishing i would agree with you pete that i continue to feel a little let down by the finale and i can't i can't quite say why uh, other than i think you've hit the nail on the head that the anticipation sometimes is better than the payoff um maybe some weird beats overall in terms of like holding off Angela's introduction for the first 25 minutes and things like that. Uh, I do continue to wonder, this was an episode that was about 65, 68 minutes long. You know, is there a 75 minute version that maybe would, wouldn't have cooked as fast, but would have felt a little bit more, uh, I don't know, luxurious. I don't know. Maybe that ends up on the home video or maybe that ends up as a, a digital thing, whatever it might be. I'll uh, tell maybe you not. what the, what the problem with it is it's nowhere near as emotionally resonant as the previous episode okay the closest you get the closest you get 
is the discussion between Angela and Will about wounds needing air and not putting a mask on and you know working through anger. Uh, that's as close as and it, it takes a backseat as far as the resonance to that eighth episode, learning the compelling love story of Angela and uh, Dr. Manhattan. Well, Pete, let's switch gears ever so slightly here. Uh, I think we learned a lot from this season. I think that it basically makes sense. Uh, Screen Rant has an article, 10 Things That Still Don't Make Sense in HBO's Watchmen, even if you read the comic. This will be you, good. Are you ready to go toe-to-toe with it? Oh, yes. All right, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this list here. This is like a listicle, so you know each one has a paragraph or so. I'm not going to read each paragraph. Uh, but, Pete, let's start with number 10. Something that doesn't make sense. Looking Glass and the Interrogation Pod. How does it work? No one knows. Uh, completely explained. They put biases on the wall, and when they're on there, he tracks their movements and their reactions. All completely explained with a narrative. It is not some fancy thing that reads your mind or anything that you need to wrap your brain around. Pete, number nine, family tree technology. No idea how it works. Uh, It's called DNA, uh, 23andMe, or any of the 50 other uh, companies that are out there right now, and also completely explicable yeah like this was the point on the list where i was like oh man we have to do this for the podcast because it's i mean look is it does it have some panache in the show like oh now go take your acorn and put put it in the hollow thing okay sure but like you're dealing in a visual medium right but like and make it cutesy whoever came up with the uh the puns and everything like that needs a needs an extra bump in the paycheck in the writer's room because everything was done in a uh, appropriate yet at the same time this this is a museum feat. Yeah, I mean the article even says you know take for example the technology used to determine Angela's family tree. We have no clue how that was invented. Uh, I don't know how it was invented in, the, in our world either. I just know that you can spit into a thing and send it to Twenty Three and Me, and they tell you stuff like. Right. Yeah. Uh, Pete, number eight on the list, the Millennium Clock's appearance. Why does it look like that? No one knows. Uh, we're told why it looks like that, because it's a centrifuge to take the powers from Dr. Manhattan and put them into Lady True. So that's why it looks like that. I would also add, like, if she's adding some artistic ornamentation to it, it's because she's foreseeing herself as maybe the greatest human in the history of the species and this is a monument to herself so that's why it looks artistic um pete number seven this might be the only legit one on the list uh elephant transfusions why elephants elephants never forget (laughs) and if that's the cute writerly thing okay fine i will admit that that does not have a 23andme type answer that does not have everybody thought it was going to be the grandfather that they didn't even make it a human. No one had guessed that. No one was like, it's an elephant, hooked up to an elephant. Okay, could there be a 15-second? Well, elef- elephants as mammals have a surplus of serotonin in their brains that makes it easier for it to happen with humans, and we've discovered this. They chose an elephant because uh, Lady True 
rode an elephant, the real life figure, uh, that the symbol is an elephant. It was hiding in plain sight the entire time. So they made it an elephant. It, it's okay. You, your, your show didn't get ruined. Well, also, like, Pete, would it have been improved with a quick explanation? Sure. But did it work? Like, we literally saw it work. She needed her blood filtered. It got filtered. She got better. Again, a fine screen rant. You want to have a little bit more of an, of an explanation there, so be it. We saw it work. Pete, number six on the list, creating life on Europa. Um, where exactly do clones come from? And, and do they not procreate? That is, I'm rephrasing a question from this article. So, <laughs> yeah, when you watch the eighth episode, which apparently this person did not do, and explaining that uh, Dr. Manhattan took the life from the pond, his drive the entire time after the graphic novel was to go off and create some life on his own, which he did, it's, again, all right there. You've got to wonder how much these people who have to write articles to drive clicks don't watch the show. They're writing articles to drive clicks about. Uh, number five, Adrian Veidt's not-so-secret safe. Uh, it, it wonders why he was keeping stuff in the safe, which we kind of discussed, you know, as a, I guess as a matter of hubris. That's how it kind of vaguely plays out. I'll grant you that isn't super well explained. Uh, wouldn't he monitor the room where it was kept? Not if he thinks his safe is secure. Uh, and then the, the last question here on the topic, how and why did he hire people to come to Karnak after his master plan was enacted? I must confess, Pete, did he? When, when Lady True comes a-knocking on the door in 2008, I think it is, was there other staff there? No, I think they're referring to uh, him recording the video saying that he had done it. Uh, and that uh, maybe confusing the timeline that it had happened, the video was done after he sent Squid. Everything's very clear. Obviously, Beyond uh, Lady True's mother leaves before he kills the rest of the support staff so that the secrets die with them. Uh, Beyond maintains the uh the story how else would lady true know she didn't deduce it that this had happened uh she she knew the truth and knowing the truth gets her the audience where the the reveal is then made about her parentage so i think they're confusing the graphic novel timeline with when the the video to uh redford is made Pete, number four on the list, cryopaint. Turns out Ozymandias was on Earth most of the time because he was in cryopaint, says the article. Uh, carbon fight is what we call it in these here parts. And uh, okay, yeah, he was. And But was, right. he in the, was he in that statue the entire time? That's yes. not... Oh, yeah. then, okay. That's not how I had... That's not how I had understood the episode. Um... But if they're again saying that it wasn't explained, if, I, if it was a little unclear, okay. Their complaint is it was never explained. Well, it was if we saw it. We saw the statue a couple times, and then we saw it get wheeled in and undone. Um, 
a better argument and it better come up, Matt, is why didn't we have what landed on the Clark farm explained, which was this. Uh, and it was explained. Lindelof has, has since explained, okay, it was uh, Lady True's ship. It, it hit an asteroid. It, it landed at a different spot. Number three on the list, why didn't they explain hypnosis technology used by Cyclops? Because um, hypnosis has existed for <laughs> quite a long time. And if you need that explained, maybe this isn't the TV show for you to watch and suspend your disbelief. Pete, number two on the list, why didn't they explain Manhattan's powers in the egg? After all, quote, the original comic never gave an indication that he could do that. Because he explained it, that he supposed he could transfer some of his atomic components into organic matter. They wrote a line of dialogue to explain it, that somebody missed the first time and missed the second time it said, uh, as it's repeated. So, good job on that. And Pete, the last one, predictably, why didn't they explain Lube Man's existence? Uh, they do link to... Online sources reveal his possible identity. I guess that the you know that a legitimate question to ask. I do worry for the rabid fan who somehow doesn't know about PDpedia saying, "Oh, this is a hanging, a hanging chad of storytelling." When you know it's explained in the larger online universe, blah blah blah. So I, I feel like that's a fair enough question. So congrats, Pete. We got to one on the list. Well, I mean, it's not as if there aren't questions that went in different directions for this series. The idea that they could take a character in Hooded Justice believed to have been Rolf Muller and to have swapped out that story and gave us the tremendous Will Reeves origin and the real identity of Hooded Justice and somehow increase the readability of the graphic novel goes to show you that it can be done. Well, Pete, now, finally, it is prize time. We had reviews coming in uh, all season long. And, uh, Pete, of those reviewers, each review, of course, got a name in the old in the old hat to see who's going to win a prize. Pete, what's the prize? Who's going to win it? So we have a special Watchmen prize pack here. Uh, some stuff called from New York Comic Con. We got you a Watchmen swatch which is super awesome. I'm going to be jealous of whoever's uh, going away with this. We have a Watchmen uh, umbrella with a little squid on it. Uh, it was a great promotion. They had the, the squid all over the city when we were there for New York Comic Con at bus stops, and uh, they were on the bathrooms and things like that. And then there is a Watchmen uh, beanie here for you as well. So basically going to get you through every season of Watchmen, hopefully till we get some more. So Pete reach into that hat there, that bin, that box, whatever you're using. And uh, who is the grand prize winner? And the winner is Kara Dunning. Well, congratulations there. And uh, we will certainly be in touch to get, uh, to get the winner, their prize. Exciting times, Pete, and all of this, of course, made possible by the people who support us on Patreon.com, who have done all season long, who will continue to do so, making sure that all our words stay up there on the wild internet. 
And certainly, Pete, that support on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Always appreciated. Priceless, really, to us, particularly at a time of year when all the bills come around. But everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek gets access to exclusive content. Only takes a dollar a month to get you in that door. So for the price of a quarter a week, you're helping the Watchmen podcast or you've helped the Watchmen podcast. You're helping with the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, the Runaways podcast by Fantastic Geek. That's just what we have going right now. In the new year, we're going to crank it up on uh, Star Trek Picard and getting ready for some Star Trek Discovery, particularly as uh, God Friended Me returns, another one that we bring to you. So thank you again, one and all. Absolutely, Pete, and all sorts of goodies there on the Patreon page. But the best one is a freebie. How can people talk to you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,984 followers. Can't be wrong. And while you can find me personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with a PH, one word, like it today. Well, Pete, this is not goodbye to Watchmen. Uh, the fate of the show, I guess technically, still up in the air. Uh, we will update whether it is tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade. Uh, as to whatever is going on with the future of the show, one does imagine if it's not Lindelof in the next year or two, it'll be somebody else at some point in the future to to continue the story uh, of this universe. But for now, Pete, definitely time to put the podcast feed on ice. So I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final Watchmen season one word. Hey, HBO, call me. <laughs>